Amanda and I will have been married 15 years this summer, so about 15 years ago, we had a big wedding, a small reception. We were very Baptist at the time. Now we're only a little bit Baptist, and uh, <laughs> Baptists have big wedding ceremonies and small receptions, and uh, other denominations have small weddings and huge receptions, and so we had a big, big wedding, and it was great, and part of it was uh, we went to take communion, and then after communion, I was going to read these vows that I had written specifically for Amanda. We said the normal vows to each other, but then I was feeling especially in love in those days, and I just wanted to make a bunch more husband commitments uh, to her. So it came to the moment in the service where we were supposed to turn to take communion, and we had a little prayer bench, and we were going to kneel down, and the elements were on a little table right there, and we turned and kneeled down, and there were no elements There was no bread and there was no grape juice, the Lord's blood, grape juice, you know, (laughs) Baptist version. So we just giggled for a second and then it was time for me to read her these extra vows that I had written. I had them framed and they were there and I start reading her these things and these promises I was making to her and I start donkey crying, you know. Now, if your spouse starts crying when giving their vows, it means two things. One, they are so moved by the promises that they are making and overcome that they emote. Or it means they do not want to make those vows that they are making. But now, hence, it is too late. I was the first one. I was moved by the commitments. And you think about the commitments you make at a wedding. They're huge. We, we don't make promises like that to any other people or at any other time in life except for that. To literally bind your life to someone else's. Those, those prayers are huge. And not many of us just in our own personality would be able to live up to those commitments. So it's no wonder that so many marriages end in divorce. And divorce has been around since the beginning. It's not a phenomenon. It's not the product of American culture. People have been getting divorced forever. And they were getting divorced in Jesus' time. And that's why he spoke into it in Mark chapter 10. Now, before we get into the passage, I just want to ask a real simple question. Who is this message for? Well, first, it's for the single adult. So if you're single today, this message is for you. Now, if you're single and and don't ever care to be married or you're single and you're real content with your life right now, then this may seem like a long way off. And I just wanna tell you from the scripture, God honors that. If you're single today, God honors that. In fact, he thinks according to the New Testament that you can be more fruitful to his kingdom than a married person can. In fact, the scripture says that if you're single and you cannot be married, you should do that. And only the weak-willed get married. So if you are sitting next to... A married person today, you just pray for them because they didn't have the stamina that you did. And in the New Testament, it lifts up singleness and says it can be incredibly fruitful. So if you're single today, I just want you to know that you're honored by the scripture and by us. And we've, we experienced, Bayou City experienced the benefits of uh, our single adults and the, all that they do in our church. And I just want to say thank you for that personally. Um, and so this message is for you because if you do want to get married one day, you know, you'll sign up for a premarital class. And that class is usually six to seven sessions before you get married. 
The reality is, is that you are preparing right now for your marriage. You are doing premarital preparation right now as a single adult. And I'm hoping that today, some of the things that we're saying from the scripture will be helpful so that you can prepare correctly. This message is also for the unhappily married. I'm hoping that you find something instructive in it. The third group it's for is the happily married because there is a thin line between unhappily married and happily married. Some of you have just come back from Austin because you were on a romantic getaway and you've been without your kids 48 hours and you remembered why you loved one another and what your life was like in that honeymoon period. And, and so, so a few marriages in here are just, just filled to the maximum of love and appreciation and gratefulness. Even those marriages are just one decision away from being unhappy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but every marriage is one decision away from jeopardy. And I'm not just even talking about adultery. I'm talking about one spouse saying, I want this and going out and buying it on credit that you don't really have. Just one decision away to do another weekend worth of overtime. We're just all one decision away from an unhappy marriage. I especially had a lot of trepidation in preparing and bringing this message because a trap that preachers get into is they talk about marriage and they get in a huge fight with their wives right before they come to church. So I just want you to know that Amanda and I have not yet talked today. We just just thought it would be better to stay away from one another until this was over. Because there's a thin line between happily married and unhappily married. And for those of you who would consider yourself happily married today, I hope that you find in today's message just a renewal of commitment to those vows that you once made. But I want to tell you first what this message is not about. You can see it in your listening guide. This message is not about condemnation for past decisions, but courage for future decisions. Many in our church family are divorced. Many of those marriages were divorces that one person did not want and, and essentially was given. And so today is not about revisiting what has happened. But if you desire to be married in the future, whether you're single because you've never been married or you're single because you were married and you're not anymore, I'm hoping that you'll find some things in today that will give you courage and understanding instruction for any future decision that you might make. So this is Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. Chapter 10, verse one of the gospel of Mark. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. The Pharisees came up and and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. 
I also want to mention, I, I just have about 15 minutes left before we're supposed to be dismissing from church. I'm not going to be able to say everything in the heart of God and in the scripture about marriage and divorce. So I may not be able to specifically address your specific situation. And so at the end, our, some of our pastors will be up here in front. And if you have a question about how these things might apply to your marriage, we would love to talk about that. Because there's one thing I know about marriage and divorce is it's always messy and it's always complicated and no two situations are alike. So if you have questions today or you feel like maybe there weren't things that needed to be said that should be said, then please stop after. I would love to talk with you. And most of all, if you're in the middle of an unhappy marriage right now, I hope that you leave encouraged, having been prayed for, and, uh, and, and that you would ask God and we would ask God with you for perseverance as you suffer through this situation. So Mark chapter 10, verse one through 12, these men come and they ask Jesus in order to test him, is it lawful, is it legal, is it okay if a man divorces his wife? Now the common thinking of the day about divorce fell into two categories and it really came down to how you interpreted one passage from the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse one. This is true for Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse one, it says this. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her and send her away from his house. So this is in the scripture. So how you felt about divorce in the first century in Palestine really came to how you came down to how you interpreted this passage. There were two primary schools of thought. There was the conservative school of thought, the school of Shammai, And they interpreted that phrase improper as referring to sexual immorality. So if a husband found out his wife was cheating on him, then Moses says you can give her a certificate of divorce and the marriage can be dissolved. But there was a more liberal school of thinking and it was a more popular school of thinking. And in fact, it's the school of thinking that these religious leaders who want to test Jesus on this matter fall into the school of Hillel. And they interpret improper to be anything. So they would say, well, she doesn't clean properly. I'm going to divorce her. She doesn't cook properly. I'm going to divorce her. She doesn't relate to my family properly. I'm going to divorce her. And you could see how many people would adopt this thinking because marriage is hard. And the grass always seems greener at some point in your marriage on the other side. And if you could find any reason to leave that spouse you would find it because the truth is, is that man of yours is only to going to be your dream spouse about six days a year. <laughs> and the other 359, he's just a guy that lives with you. <laughs> so if you could find any reason to get divorced, we might all tempt to, be tempted to do it. So when they come to Jesus in order to test him, what they want is they want him to weigh in on this. Jesus, which school of thinking do you fall into? There are five things I would love for you to leave with this morning. Number one, Jesus teaching on marriage and divorce. In marriage, God joins two people and makes them into one person. This is what he says in verse eight very clearly. And the two shall become one flesh, so they no longer are two but one flesh. I don't know if we have any woodworkers in here today, but you can take two pieces of wood like this and you glue them together. Once they are glued and dried, 
uh, they will not be able to come apart. And for the rest of their life, they will just be one piece of wood. And that's what Jesus is saying about marriage. God takes two separate people and he glues them together in such a way that forever they will be one person. So it's no wonder that marriage is hard. You're taking two self-centered people and you're putting them together. They live together, they share a home, they share a bank account, they share a schedule, they share joy, they share pain, they share family. It's no wonder there's lots of conflict within marriage because God takes two people and he makes them one person, supernaturally gluing them together. Number two, it is God's will that a husband hold fast to his wife. Jesus says in verse six, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now remember, Jesus is living in a very patriarchal society. Everything revolved around the man and the man's family. In fact, the man's loyalty most often did not go to his wife, but went to his future family line. The wife just happened to be a vehicle for that to be accomplished. So Jesus' teaching about marriage is really radical because what a man typically would be drawn to in first century Israel was to hold fast to his family's future, his future sons and daughters, his future grandsons and granddaughters, his future descendants. But Jesus says, no, your loyalty is to be towards your wife. You hold fast to her. It was also radical because in this society, the woman was supposed to do the sacrificing. But from the beginning, Jesus says, from back in Genesis, he quotes the scripture, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Of course, Jesus teaching on marriage is for both men and women. When Amanda and I talk about our marriage, we speak in plural personal pronouns. We and us and not me and I. As we're partners, we do things together. We love when people say Curtis and Amanda. And not just Curtis or not just Amanda. We share everything. And yet within our partnership, we believe God has said there are some roles for Amanda and there are some roles for men. And while we have to hold fast to one another, the primary responsibility, the pace setting for holding fast according to Jesus is my responsibility. That I would say as a leader of my home in this marriage, this is how we hold fast. Most men out in the world, they're like stumps that their wives have to cling to. There, but not much else. But men, if you're married today or men, you're single and you would like to be married one day, that responsibility of setting the tone for how we cling to one another lies with you, lies with you. Number three, Jesus teaches that divorce is man separating what God has joined. He says in verse nine, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You hear that phrase a lot at weddings. And in fact, it's usually one of the last things that the minister says. Well, God has joined together, let no man separate. We have a very young congregation. So in the last five years of our church, I've done a lot of premarital counseling and a lot of premarital training. And 
My very first session with a couple, I like to do a, a quiz on what they're both expecting in the marriage. And uh, so it's 25 questions and the groom goes away and does his, bride goes away, does hers, and then we come back together and see how they answered each of the questions, whether the same or differently. And uh, most of the questions are silly and simple, like who's gonna be the one that takes out the trash and who's gonna be the one that actually sends in the check to the mortgage company and uh, which side of the bed do you plan on sleeping on the right side or the left side? Uh, Some of them are a little bit more personal. How many kids do you plan on having? And one of the questions in the 25 is uh, under what circumstances is, is divorce an option? And I would say of the many, 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 many couples that I've done premarital counseling with, I can only think of two that ever wrote something specific down. The rest all put, divorce is not an option. Because when you're happily married or you plan on being happily married, divorce is never an option. Divorce is never an option until it's an option. So even if you have a great marriage today and you would say, well, No, you know, divorce is never an option. I don't know that you can say that with confidence until you've really been through the valley of the shadow of death in your marriage. Because divorce is not simply the dissolution of a legal resolution. You can't just wave a magic wand over a marriage and say, well, we used to file taxes together and now we file them separately. We used to be Mr. and Mrs. and now we're just Mr. and Ms. It's not as simple as that because God is the one who glued a marriage together. So divorce is more than just contractual negating. It is an undoing of God's work, God's supernatural invisible work. Number four, Jesus says, divorce is the result of hardness of heart in at least one member of the marriage. Chapter 10, verse two, and the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So they quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one. And Jesus said to them, verse five, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Divorce is the result of hardness of heart in at least one member of the marriage. So Jesus explains, just because Moses wrote you an out doesn't mean that divorce is a good thing or an easy thing. It means somebody's hardened their heart in such a way that says, I know what it would take to solve problems in my marriage, but I am unwilling to do it. And in fact, instead of solving problems, I'm going to create more problems. And number five, divorce is not as simple as just moving on. Verse 10, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces a wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The religious leaders, what they're looking for is any reason to divorce. That was what they believed and that's what they wanted Jesus to say, to agree with them so that they just had to fulfill the minimal contractual obligations. Yeah, you can get divorced, just make sure you write her a certificate. That would be like us saying today, yeah, you can get divorced as long as you do something to look out for your kids. 
yeah, you can get divorced, but just make sure she's okay with like alimony payments. So you're willing to stay involved in their lives. You're still willing to be a positive male role model in the life of your children. Then yeah, divorce is fine. You just make sure that you check all of the legal requirements and you're good. That's what these Pharisees want Jesus to agree on. You just fill out the certificate and everything is great. But Jesus explains that it's serious. If you don't have a legitimate reason for divorce, it's adultery. That's what he says. So are there any legitimate reasons for divorce? Are there any reasons that maybe God consents to? Well, we see two clear ones, in my opinion, in the New Testament. First, Jesus teaching really, uh, Matthew quotes an extra phrase in Jesus teaching on the same thing. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So if your spouse has cheated on you, it's a possible legitimate exit from your marriage. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, but if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So if you've married an unbeliever and they say, you know what? I do not believe in God and I do not believe in this marriage and I am leaving. And they are the one that leaves. Paul gives this out. But we're not soulmates anymore is not a good reason. You've changed. You're not the man that I married. You're not the woman that I married. It's not a good enough reason to dissolve your marriage. It's not as simple as moving on. And even in those two instances, it's never clear. It's never easy. And it's always complicated. Moving on always seems like the better idea. Moving on sometimes is the best thing at work. Can't get along with your boss. Maybe better to find a new job and start fresh. Moving on is sometimes necessary with a friend. They start being super weird. You stop texting them as much. Moving on may be the best thing with a house. Can't fix it up anymore. Can't get the resale value out of it. Move on, find another one. Moving on is never the better idea in a marriage. Because once God glues two people together, just like this wood, the only thing that's gonna take it apart is a saw. And that saw is violent to your soul and it's painful, and it hurts, it's suffering. It is not greener on the other side of a divorce. So what now? Well, for the single, be preparing now for a lifelong marriage. A person of character attracts and discerns a person of character. So you be a person of character. There are changes that you need to make. There are relational habits that you have as a single adult that you see, that you identify, you know are not good. Change them now before you get married. They're harder to make once the marriage is started than before. 
Become a person of Jesus-centered character. And when you do, use that Jesus-centered character to discern whether that person that you're interested in has Jesus-centered character. For those who are unhappily married and those who are happily married, a good marriage is not complicated. In fact, you can go to Barnes & Noble this afternoon after church is over and grab you a cup of coffee and go to the marriage section and you'll see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books about marriage. Rows and rows and rows. It may be the biggest section in Barnes & Noble. If you read all of those books, you would see that they all come down to one sentence at the very end. That book was written to help you do what you already know to do. There's not one thing in there that will blow your mind. There's not like a, oh, if you buy your wife roses on Friday, every Friday, you'll have a great marriage. It's just gonna tell you to do what you already know. The author's goal though, is to inspire you to do that. A happy marriage, a good marriage, a biblical marriage is not complicated. You already know what you would have to do to make it great. We're just too lazy to do it or too thoughtless to do it, too self-centered to do it. Go the extra mile in the little things today. A little note, a little thoughtfulness, a little act of service, a little gift, a little forgiveness. Go the extra mile in the little things because once they're big things, it's harder. It may be too late one day for a big gift. Big forgiveness is hard. There may not be a gesture of thoughtfulness that can undo millions of days of inconsideration. Go the extra mile in the little things and persevere. If you're happily married today, persevere. If you're unhappily married today, persevere. I love the scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, talking about relationships. As far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. You cannot be responsible and you cannot control your spouse. That's between their heart and God's heart. But as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you today, you go the extra mile. As far as it depends on you, you forgive. As far as it depends on you, you be thoughtful. As far as it depends on you, you be kind. Persevere, persevere, persevere. And your perseverance will not be wasted. Amanda and I have a very good friend and she is in the middle of a very awful marriage. It's the worst marriage that I know, maybe the worst marriage that I've ever heard of. You might say, well, my marriage is pretty bad. It's not this bad, it's bad. Uh, She has every reason to leave biblically, and yet she doesn't. And Amanda and I were talking about it this week in the spirit of prayer and just how amazed that that she's still hanging in there. And I said to Amanda, I don't know 100% what her motive is for that, but what I do know after this passage of scripture is that uh, she will be rewarded for every day that she hangs in there. If your marriage is tough right now and you don't wanna persevere for their sake, 
they may not be worth it. You persevere because by doing it, you are storing up treasure where moth and rust is not destroyed and thieves do not break in and steal. That husband you're married to, he may be a thief and he may be stealing from you every day, but you hang in there, you persevere as God would have you. God is protecting your reward and he won't be able to steal that from you. Your marriage may feel like it's decaying a little bit at a time, like rust. Persevere. There's a treasure for you that rust cannot destroy. God is not wasting the difficult days in your marriage. Divorce is real and it's ugly and it's brutal and Jesus speaks into it. But marriage is beautiful. It's hard, but it's worth it. So whether you're single, you're unhappily married, or married today, let's do the things that we know we need to do by God's power and God's strength. Let's pray. When you take a second in a spirit of prayer, Gospel of John says that Jesus is our shepherd, that he knows your name and that you can know his voice. Just take a second and ask God and all that we've read today and all we've sung and all we've experienced, what's the next step for me? let that settle in our heart. Let it bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.